If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the book of Hebrews. Let's go to chapter 9, verses 16 through 22. I want you to see the title of our teaching this morning, Jesus' Last Will and Testament. Now, especially if you're getting up in years, you start thinking about, you know, your will and testament, and you might make something out, and then uh, you have to get it notarized. A lot of times you got to go to, uh, you know, a lawyer and such, and I know my mom's gone through that, and, you know, we kind of been on, on top of her case about it because we have a tendency to let these things go. And so we understand that will and testament, and you're going to see something interesting this morning. Uh, the will and testament of Jesus Christ could not be fulfilled, and basically any will and testament cannot be fulfilled until the one the will is about, they have to die. And the Jews were very adamant in this area. They looked for two or three witnesses. And we're going to see not only were there ample witnesses at the death of Christ, but also in his resurrection. In fact, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when we come to that text. And the Bible says that over 500 witnessed the risen Christ. And so... There is no doubt in our minds, and we believe by faith, not only did Jesus die, but that he rose again on the third day. And the Bible says that there was a 40-day post-resurrection. In other words, that he was on earth in his glorified body for 40 days, and how many saw him? He broke bread with them. The disciples saw him a week later because Thomas couldn't believe he wasn't there. And he said, unless I put my finger in the nail prints, I will not believe. And then eight days later, Jesus comes into the very place, and he says, Thomas, my hands and my feet. And the Bible says that Thomas fell on his face, that he saw the risen Christ, and he believed. And so this morning, how do I know that Jesus died? How do I know that he was buried? How do I know that he rose again on the third day? But this is where faith comes in. And I must have the faith to believe. And then after the 40-day post-resurrection, Jesus ascends into heaven. You see, throughout history, there has been many that claim to be Messiah. Many that have died, but only one has risen from the dead. Only one that has truly shed his blood, the blood that cleanses us and washes us afresh and anew. We're going to see in our last verse this morning, without... Uh, the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness of sins. Now, in the Old Testament, we've been studying this in the book of Hebrews. The high priest would go in through the rituals, the rites, the custom, the tradition, the sprinkling of the blood. We're going to see it again. But these were just a picture, a shadow of the things to come. Jesus would become the complete sacrifice. Jesus died uh, to give us life, life eternal. And this morning, before we even get into our text, I need to ask you, and you need to ask yourself, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Have you accepted the risen Christ? Because it's already done for us. This last will and testament is complete because of his death and because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? And if you do believe it, have you accepted this precious blood of the risen Christ. And so let's read our text this morning. Then I'm going to say a quick prayer. I just ask the Lord 
that we understand what we're going to study, I want you to go to Hebrews 9. Now look at verse 16. For where there is a testament, there must also be of necessity be the death of the testor. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the tester lives. And so the test is that that person must die. Therefore, not even the first covenant, Old Testament, was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept or law to all the people according uh, to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop. And he sprinkled both the book itself and the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant, which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost, listen to that, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Let us pray. Father, as we look at our text this morning, as we see Jesus' last will and testament, Lord, we know, we believe, we see the scriptures, we believe by faith that Jesus died and was buried, and on the third day he rose again. And we know that there was finally an ascension into heaven after 40 days. And this risen Christ not only rose again from the dead, but he ascended into heaven and he sits at majesty on the right-hand side of God. He sits there in the Holy of Holies now in heaven. And it blows our minds because the Bible says that he makes intercession for us, that Jesus prays for me, Jesus prays for you. And so, Father, cause us to understand this morning. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Now, let's begin here. Hebrews chapter 9. Look at verse 16 again. For where He says, For where there is a testament, and that testament speaks of a covenant or a will or a promise. Where there is this covenant, this promise, there must also of necessity be the death of the tester. The appointed one of the will he or she, and here we speak of Christ, he must die. In other words, the will and testament is written, it is sealed, and it's filed, but not finished until the death. We might get a notary republic. You might get a lawyer. I mean, everything is set up, legalized. But until the death comes of that loved one, it's not complete. It's not done. When someone dies and leaves a will, no one gets anything until it is proved that that person who wrote the will or the will was wrote, written of is dead. There must be proof to fulfill the will. Now, Jesus had to die to fulfill his last will and testament. He died for all mankind. We shared this verse last week. In fact, we covered uh, quite a bit of this portion of the verse. In John 3, 16, we know the scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, it's meaningless unless Jesus dies, and we know that he did die, and better yet, church, not only did Jesus die, he was buried, but he also rose again on the third day, And in his death now, 
He completes his will. And then we look at the book of Acts chapter 1. He ascends into heaven. And then the promise that he's going to return. This new covenant may be viewed as a statement or a testament sealed with the death of him that made it. In the Old Testament, at times the, the blood of animal sacrifice sealed the covenant for man. The death of Jesus Christ seals the New Testament covenant for all who call upon the name of the Lord. Now, if you've been here long enough in this ministry, I love the book of Romans in chapter 10 and verse 13. It's a classic verse, but I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 10, and we're going to pick it up in verse 8. There has to be this death or the will and testament is meaningless. And in Jesus' case, not only is there a death and a burial, but there's a resurrection on the third day. And then after a 40-day post-resurrection, he takes it a step further. He ascends into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of majesty on high. And listen to this, church. He prays for us. He prays for you. He prays for me. Even when there's times that I don't know how to pray for myself. Lord, you know what I'm going through? Lord, you know the hurts and the pains, and the Lord's there praying for me. Now, the Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren, and he accuses us day and night. But imagine that Jesus is praying for you. Now, if this is Jesus' last will and testament for the last 2,000 years, we know that he has died. Have we accepted the risen Christ? You see, there's a lot of people that know Jesus, but have they received him? There's a lot of people that call themselves Christian, but are they truly born again of the Holy Spirit? You know, basically, I don't care if you ever go to Calvary Chapel. I don't care if you ever go to, and name the church. Name the denomination or name the non-denomination. It doesn't matter. But have you accepted this Messiah? that we call Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Have we accepted his precious blood that was shed at Calvary 2,000 years ago and that same blood that is washing and cleansing even today? You know, we make salvation sometimes such a hard task. Well, listen, you need to do this and you need to do that. The Bible says all you need to do, listen, believe by faith, call upon the name of the Lord. What does that entail? Do I have to get down on my knees and, you know, do I have to bow down? Do I have to make, you know, the sign of the cross? Do I have to clasp my hands? Do I have to, you know, look reverent? Well, you can do all those things, but my Bible says, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. Now, let's go through our text real quick here. Romans chapter 10, look at verse 8 with me. What does it say, Paul says? He says, the word is near. He says, the word is near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. That is the word of faith. And it takes faith, the word of faith that we are proclaiming. Look at verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. The word justified, set apart. And it is with your mouth that you confess and you're saved. He goes on, verse 11. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. 
For therefore, or there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. And church, we have to appreciate that because it's a universal call. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. You want to be blessed, you need to call upon the name of the Lord. And verse 13 is just the classic verse. For everyone, there's that universal call. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, here's the promise, shall be saved. Well, listen, I, I, before I go to church, and before I accept Christ, before I come to that born-again experience, let me clean up my act a little bit. You know, I've heard that term. You can do all the cleaning you want, but until you receive Christ, it, it's meaningless. Well, you know, I need to join a church. I need to get water baptized. I, I need to become part of the ledger. I need to be, you know, uh, inducted into their denomination or non-denomination. Yeah, you can do all that. But my Bible says those that call upon the name of the Lord. This past week, that airplane crash in uh, New York. It was a Piper Cub, a small plane, and then the helicopter. How they miss each other, but they did. And they just plummeted to the earth. And I'm thinking those people that they call upon the name of the Lord in those last seconds of their life. Lord, save me. I mean, generally, when there's a, a disaster that's facing us or a head-on collision, we've heard so many testimonies where somebody says, oh, my God, is that enough to get saved? You know, that's determined between you and the Holy Spirit. But I can guarantee you, if that plane's going down, you're crying out. I bet you the best heathen is crying out upon God. Those that call upon the name of the Lord, listen, here's the promise, shall be saved. So here's this last will and testament of Jesus Christ, our Messiah, our Savior. But have we called upon him? Or do I just, you know, I believe it by faith, and that's rightfully so. It's there. But have I accepted of the risen Christ. I, I guess you could explain it. I, I love to use this analogy. Christmas comes or your birthday comes or, you know, your anniversary. Somebody gives you a gift. And there's a gift on the table or it's under the tree. But unless you open the gift and unless you take the gift and unless you run with the gift, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. I mean, dads, don't raise your hand, but, you know, somebody always buys you something off, off the wall. You got this beautiful tie your daughter gave you, your son gave you. It's got a big eyeball in the middle. You know you're never going to wear it, but it's yours. It's yours. And hopefully when she or he comes to visit you, you put it on because you're proud of it. It's yours. Well, the gift of God is eternal life, but have we truly received the risen Christ. Now he's going to go further in. Let's go back to our text. Look at verse 17. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the tester is alive. While the tester is alive. You know, you might sit down with your family, friends, and loved ones. You might sit down with your children, and you might say, well, listen, this is what mom and dad are planning. And you say, well, you're going to get this, you're going to get that. But nothing happens until death comes. And I have an aunt, bless her heart, but as soon as one of her kids gets wrong with her, I mean, she literally calls up the lawyer, change my will. And I'm going, Dia, you can't do that. Oh, they got me mad. You know, I, 
couldn't live like that. But imagine Jesus, last will and testament, it's a done deal, church. Now, look at verse 17 again. There must be 100% death of the one who the will and testament is written for. And we know that Jesus died 100% death, and he did rise, listen, also from the dead. And you can also add 100% of his resurrection. And the Bible says he sits at the right hand of majesty as even we're speaking now, and he prays for me, and he prays for you. Now, here's the key. Here is added fact to strengthen verse 17 under consideration. The emphasis is upon the word testament. The word testament speaks of the new covenant or the new promise. It is sealed by the necessity of death. How many witnessed? Now, I want you to put on your thinking caps. Go back uh, to uh, the time in Jerusalem there. It's around 32 AD, and it's Passover week, and so the Jews are in Jerusalem. In fact, Josephus, the great historian, estimates that in the time of Passover, uh, there would easily be 1.5 million to 2 million people. In fact, they recorded that uh, because they had to take the census how much to charge. And so it was easily 240,000 to 250,000 lambs that were sacrificed that week. And basically, it was a bloody mess. But I want you to think about this. During this time, 32 AD, how many witnessed the death of Jesus Christ at Calvary? There would have been thousands, if not hundreds of people that would have, you know, testified of his death. And then I thought about how many people were there in Passover. Now, according to Deuteronomy chapter 19, the Jews are very staunch in this area. There has to be two or three witnesses to make a fact in law 100% in a court of law. Imagine two or three witnesses. It's, it's still in the laws today. You have to have two or three witnesses. Now, I want you to study this passage with me. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you've not had the opportunity, when you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul deals with the doctrine of the resurrection. Now, the church at Corinth, if I can use the term, was considered a very carnal church, a very fleshly church. There were a lot of sin in that church. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 5, there was a brother that was lying in bed with his stepmom. And Paul rebuked and said, somebody needs to tell him. And so there were those that struggled with the resurrection. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tears it down to a T. I mean, there's no doubt the doctrine of the resurrection. We've covered it in time past here. But I want you to read with me 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 3 now. For what I received, Paul says, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. But I like this. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep or have already died. Verse 7. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles, verse 8, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one that was born out of due time or out of due season. Now, back in Acts chapter 9, 
Paul uh, is Solitarsus at the time. His name's not changed yet. He has letters in hand. He's going to Damascus to bring Christians back and to place them on trial. He had already consented to the death of Stephen, the first martyr of the church. And remember when Paul was knocked off his animal, there was a light that shone round about him. The Bible says that uh, Saul of Tarsus was blinded for three days. But Saul of Tarsus knew that something of great power knocked him down. And the other men that were there also. And, and Saul of Tarsus cries out, Is that you, Lord? Many believe that that was Paul's actual salvation. Was that when he saw the risen Christ? Well, the Bible says he was blinded. In order to call yourself an apostle, you had had to have seen the risen Christ. Now, I want you to write this verse down, and I want you to go to it and study it tonight. Galatians chapter 1. In Galatians chapter 1, the Bible tells us that Paul goes to Arabia. And for a three-year span, there in the desert in Arabia, the Holy Spirit teaches him. I believe that's exactly when Paul saw the risen Christ. So he was able to call himself an apostle of Christ. Again, look at verse 8 in 1 Corinthians 15. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one born out of due time. And so this man of Galilee, this Messiah, who is called Christ, his last will and testament is fulfilled, listen, through his death. There has to be the death and the shed blood. Now, not the animal sacrifices. That was a covering in the Old Testament. It was pointing to the cross. And now Jesus not only has died, but he rose again from the dead. Now, church, if the Jews required in Deuteronomy Chapter 19, the witnesses of two or three witnesses, that is. Can you imagine 500 that witnessed the risen Christ? And I mean, here we are this morning. How do I know? How do you know? But we believe by faith. It tells us in the Old Testament that Abraham believed God by faith. It takes faith. Now let's go back to our text. Look at verse 18. Therefore, not even the first covenant, the Old Testament law, was dedicated without blood. There has to be blood. There was always blood. Blood is the lifeline. A sacrifice was required to confirm the covenant by blood. The first covenant made between God and man goes back to Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve fell from the grace of God, God made the first animal sacrifice for Adam and Eve. Remember, they had sin, and then they knew they were sin. They had sin. There was a guilt complex. The Bible says they took fig leaves and they covered themselves. But then God comes and he places skins on them. In order to place skins, there had to be the death of an animal. Write this verse down. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. He clothed them. There has to be the shedding of blood goes way back into Genesis chapter 3. Now, let's look at the law. Turn with me to the book of Exodus, and let's go to chapter 24. And so again, in verse 18, therefore, not even the first covenant, and that's what we're speaking of in Exodus 24, 
was dedicated without blood. There has to be the shedding of blood. And so in Exodus chapter 24, listen to how God sets this up with Moses. Verse 1, we're talking about the God of Israel and the blood covenant now. There has to be the shedding of blood. He begins here in verse 1. Then he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. Moses at this time becomes that mediator that we've been speaking about as Christ is our bridge builder. The others must not come anear. He says, and the people may not come up with him. In verse 3, when Moses went up and told the people all the Lord's words and the law, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said, we will do. You know anything about the Old Testament, they would say they're going to obey, but then they were so quick to disobey. We just finished the book of 2 Kings on Wednesday night, and it's this constant disobedience, 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 and God will bring judgment. In verse 4 now, Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said, and he got up early the next morning, and he built an altar uh, at the foot of the mountain, and he set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. In verse 5, then he sent young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship. We're going to break bread this Wednesday. It's called communion. In the Greek, it's koinonia. It's basically the same word in Hebrew as far as meaning fellowship, oneness, coming together. You don't break bread with just anybody. You break bread with those that you love. And so they take the young bulls as fellowship, offering to the Lord. Verse 6, Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant, the law, and he read it to the people, and they responded. We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Again, in the text, we see twice. We will obey. And then you study the Old Testament, and they were contrary. They're constantly disobeying. God would bring judgment. Verse 8, Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. There must be the blood sacrifice. Now, last Sunday, we spoke about the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. And they would take two goats, and they would sacrifice one goat, and there was a sprinkling of the blood on the mercy seat. And they would take the other goat, and the priest would lay hands on it and, and actually transfer the sins of the priest and of the nation of Israel, and then they would disperse the goat. He was called the escape goat. And the Bible says that they would set up priests in intervals as the goat literally took off. Let's use the analogy, he's going up North Main, and then one priest would report back. He's going up North Main, he's gone farther. You know, he's up to the top, he's going over the hill now. And so we're convinced our sins have been taken. But we just, and we said last week, what if the goat liked the grass around Jerusalem? And he didn't leave. Well, their sins were not forgiven according to the law. Thank God we do not have to go through that. But by faith, we know that God has forgiven by the precious blood of Christ. But can you see the ritual, the, the custom, the tradition, the rites that had to be done? 
and the sprinkling of the blood. We're going to read as we continue. They sprinkled the blood on the law, on the book, and then sprinkled the blood on the people. Can you imagine, listen, using the pun, but it would have been a bloody mess. You would bring your animal sacrifices. Again, Josephus said during Passover, 240, 250,000 lambs. Incredible sight. But all that was in hope that our sins would be forgiven. And then you'd have to repeat it next year. Oh, thank God, 2,000 years ago that Jesus died. Listen, once and for all. Now let's continue. Look at verse 19. Go back to our text. For when Moses had spoken every precept or commandment to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats. And now we go a step further than what we read in Exodus 24. And with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and he sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. We understand Exodus chapter 24. We just read it. The law spoke of the blood of an animal. Here it tells us that the blood of calves and of goats, but then he mentions water. And then scarlet wool and hyssop, which is not included in Exodus chapter 24. So why does the Holy Spirit insert water, scarlet, wool, and hyssop? Now there's a lot of typologies in the scriptures. And so we see first Adam. He brought in Adamic sin. He fell from grace there in Genesis chapter 3. And then we see Jesus in the book of Romans is called second Adam. And he comes in and he dies for the sin of all mankind. A typology. It's a type of Adam in the New Testament. Now we know when the, uh, the Old Testament Israelites crossed the Red Sea, it was a type of water baptism. And so we see types in the Old Testament. We see types in the New Testament. Now, let me just break this down. And so here's the Holy Spirit now. He's speaking about water, scarlet, wool, and hyssop. Water in Bible types many times is reference to the Word of God. It can also be in reference, listen, to the work of the Holy Spirit. But scarlet speaks of crimson. It speaks of the blood of the redemption. Now, listen to wool. Very important here. Wool, wool speaks of the divine work of God uh, through the animal that gave up his life. He gave up his life. He had to die. He had to shed his blood. And we know the Old Testament is just a covering. But hyssop, hyssop was a tree branch that was used, and it speaks about our faith. And they would often dip the... Uh, the hyssop in blood and sprinkle it, and they would dip it in water and sprinkle it. But I want you to put on your thinking caps here. Mark down Exodus chapter 12. Hyssop speaks of faith. It took faith for the children of Israel to obey Moses, to take the hyssop, dip it in the blood, and place it on the doorpost of their house by faith. And when death entered the camp there on the first Passover, they would be spared. Because of the blood. But then he says he sprinkled the book of the law. And then he sprinkled the people. Now, if you've ever done history, a good history on the word of God. Now, we, we hold our Bibles up. We have our Bible intact. We got Genesis to Revelation. Some of us have several Bibles. I, I You know, I collect a lot of Bibles. I've kept all my Bibles. I like to write in them, so... Uh, 
there's a certain time where there's no more place to write, so I get another Bible. But you see, we don't understand the history. I can go to a, a bookstore. You can even go to a Walden's bookstore, secular, and get a Bible. But we have no concept of the blood that was shed for us to have this complete word of God. A lot of blood, a lot of men, a lot of women died to keep this Bible alive for us. Oh, the enemies tried many years, but we still have the word of God. And then not only would he sprinkle the word, and in those days it would have been the law of Moses, but then he sprinkled the people. And so, again, can you see uh, the blood that fell? He sprinkled the book of the law and then the people with the blood. Now, we know that first man, Adam, fell from grace and needed the blood sacrifice provided by God. And that's second Adam he's called in the book of Romans. But I want you to listen to this passage. Write it down. First Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And so Peter wrote, to the church. He's writing to Jews and Gentiles. Uh, Peter's uh, epistle was to the dispersed ones. The early church persecution they had scattered. And so he encourages them. And 1 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, God's chosen, the church, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Verse 2 who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father. Therefore, he says, through the sanctification work of the Holy Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood. He says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now, I want you to remember, those of us that are coming on, on Wednesday nights, we understand the Old Testament. We've been studying, and we've been going through 1 Kings, 2 Kings. And when you study the things that took place in the Old Testament, a lot of times you say, well, why should we even study? But the Bible teaches us that the Old Testament is a shadow, is a picture of the finished work at the cross, the animal sacrifices. Eventually, Jesus Christ would be the complete sacrifice. Again, I always like to mention, remember John the Baptist? There in the New Testament, uh, he's at the Jordan. He's baptizing for the remission of sin. And he sees Jesus coming towards him. And John, how did he know? But by the power of the Holy Spirit, John says, Behold, the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Now remember, Jesus had to be baptized. He wanted to be baptized. He wanted to show us an example, and he was baptized. And John didn't want to baptize him. It is I that needs to be baptized by you. But Jesus says, this has to be done. The Old Testament says that John was the voice crying in the wilderness. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In other words, no more animal sacrifices. Jesus becomes the last sacrifice. And again, the conclusion of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. And church, we have that uh, today. Look at verse 20 now, back to our text. Saying, the writer says, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. It was a command. 
The Holy Spirit here in verse 20 makes reference to the conduct of Moses here and partly quotes his words in the institution of communion. Again, the word koinonia, fellowship with God. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And by this, using the words and applying them, he shows that the, his sacrificial blood was intended by the blood shed and sprinkled on this very occasion. And that by it alone, the remission of sins is obtained. It is so important that we understand the blood. In the Old Testament, the word kofar, it only covered your sin. Next year, you had to do it again. But the Bible says that Jesus died 2,000 years ago, once and for all. Now, we partake of the communion service. We're going to partake on Wednesday evening, that is. It's koinonia, it's fellowship, it's oneness. Now, I want you to see how communion was distributed in the New Testament. You know, we would come to a supper, and we're accustomed, you know, you give me my plate, you get your plate. There's a spoon, and I'm going to serve myself, and you're going to serve yourself. That's not the way it worked in the New Testament. They would bring out two or three bowls. There would be a meat bowl. There would be a dipping bowl. And there might be some vegetables of some kind, some kind of green leaf. And you would partake by putting your hand in. But you would not take the bowl with a dipping. But the bread would be passed. Listen now. And you would tear off a piece of bread. I would tear off a piece of bread. And you begin to dip into the same sauce with a piece of meat on it. And it doesn't stop there. You see, communion is oneness. We, we, you know, if you've been to any of the markets and you see, you know, there's chips and dip there. And then you see a kid before you and he's dipped about 40 times already. And you go, I don't think so. But in the New Testament, when you broke bread with me and I broke bread with you, it sounds gross, but our salivas would mix. We become one. We become one. And we would partake of the same bowl, the same piece of bread. That's the communion service. And you see, Jesus, the Old Testament blood was temporal it was just a foreshadow of the things to come Jesus his blood is the complete sacrifice now it's interesting that we chose this Wednesday we finished the book of 2nd Corinthians and so we're going to have our communion service and then this teaching comes in to being communion is so precious now because of my Catholic background we don't partake of communion every Sunday, and we don't partake of communion sometimes uh, none in, in one month. Sometimes two months will go by because I don't want it to become a ritual. I believe it is so important to break bread together in the communion service, and we partake of the bread that reminds us of the body of Christ that was broken. We partake of the cup that reminds us of the precious blood that was shed at and it just doesn't become a ritual every Sunday. But it's precious when we partake of communion. Now, I want you to see this with me. Turn to Matthew chapter 26, uh, verse 26. And we see Jesus now institutes the Last Supper. This is before his death. 
He's breaking bread with his uh, disciples. He's in the upper room. Now, uh, if you want to study it further, look at Mark chapter 14, Luke chapter 22, and we're going to study this Wednesday, 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 and 26. But here, Matthew 26, look at verse 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and then he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples, and here are the words of Christ. And he said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and he gave thanks, and he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins, for the forgiveness of sins by his precious blood. Look at verse 29. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This was the institution of the communion service. Now, when we study 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul brings back the words of Christ and he says, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus never said that he died every Sunday or every communion service. He died once and for all. But when we partake of the bread and the cup, we bring into remembrance. When I hold that piece of bread and I'm partaking, I'm reminded of the body that was badgered and beaten, ridiculed for me, for you. The Bible says they punched him in the face. The Bible says that they pulled this beard off. They took a crown of thorns and placed it on his head, and then a reed and smashed it down. And then we partake of the cup. Do this in remembrance of me. I venture to say we've all seen The Passion of Christ, a great movie that uh, um, Mel Gibson made. I think it should be viewed uh, every Easter week. But if you remember the movie, I can't ever get that out of my mind. The blood that was shed that they portrayed in the movie. Now, a lot of people said it was too gory, too much blood. But I can guarantee you, go back to Isaiah chapter 53, and it's worse. The Bible says in the Hebrew that you could not recognize Jesus after the crucifixion. And the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they couldn't recognize the risen Christ. He showed the marks. All this to remind us. Man, when you look at that, that blood, that blood, that Jesus died to give me life, to give you life. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. We're going to see that in verse 22. And so here's the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. Listen, it's complete. It's done for the last 2,000 years. It's a beautiful picture. No longer an animal sacrifice. No longer a high priest that has to come in and offer and do the ritual, the rite, the custom, the tra tradition. I don't have to worry about that escape goat. Is he going to go over North Main or not? Is he going to go up to I-70? I don't have to worry. I'm using that as an analogy. It's done. It's complete, church. Now let's go back to our text. Look at verse 21. Then likewise, 
He sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle. He's speaking about the high priest. Both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. Why? Because of the sin nature. The high priest sprinkled likewise with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. The Holy Spirit shows us that everything used by sinful man is polluted. Nothing can be acceptable in the sight of a holy and righteous God that has not, in effect, been sprinkled by the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. You see, God can't accept us unless we've come through the cross of his son, Jesus Christ. And we've accepted that precious blood of Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible teaches that you and I are sinners needing a savior. We're born with Adamic sin. We need the precious blood of a mediator, which we spoke of last week. That is the final sacrifice. And we know now, which is Christ Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Now, I want you to put on your thinking caps. I want you to listen. I'm not going to ask you to turn. You mark it down, mark it later. In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, you see, there is no righteousness in me. There is no holiness in me. In fact, the best I can do is still filthy rags in the sight of God. I'll tell you, when I read this years ago, because basically, I mean, I thought myself as a good person. I believe you think yourself as a good person. I mean, I'm not a murderer. I'm not a raper, you know, so I'm a good person. That's the logic that we live by. But the Bible says that I'm a sinner needing salvation. I heard an old preacher, and you've heard this term before. There's a a lot of good people in hell today. You need to be born again of the Holy Spirit. Listen to the verse in Isaiah. Isaiah 64, verse 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Underline that. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Years ago when I did a study in Isaiah 64, 6. When you come to the Hebrew word, filthy rags, it speaks of the menstrual rag that a woman would use in the Old Testament. That's our righteousness. Our righteousness, our holiness is as filthy rags. In other words, there's nothing that I can offer. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We need a Savior. Now mark these down. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3. But we find it. In Psalm 14, verses 1, through and three, 1, 2, and 3, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20, there's not one just man. There's not one righteous man or righteous woman. We all need a Savior. So Romans chapter 3, listen to what it says in verse 10. As it is written, Paul says, there is none righteous, no, not one. Verse 11, there is none who understands. There is not one who seeks after God. Verse 12, They have all turned aside. They have all together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. When I read that years ago, again, I mean, come on, let's be honest. I would respond, I'm not that bad. And you would respond, I'm not that bad. You know, I'm not on death row for, you know, mass murders. I'm not that bad. Oh, I sin a little bit, but I'm not that bad. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
There is not one righteous, no, not one. There's no righteousness in me, no righteousness in you, no holiness in me, no holiness in you. But it's only through Christ. It's only through Christ. The Old Testament animal sacrifices only covered my sin for a season. I'd have to wait for next year. But Jesus' blood, listen, cleanses me afresh and anew. You see, once I come to the born-again experience, I'm saved. The Bible says that I'm still a sinner, but I thank God that he washes me over and over. Oh, I'm born again, but he washes me. And be honest with yourself. I, I mean, you probably sinned this morning. If not, I can guarantee you, you sinned yesterday. And if you say no, you're already lying and you're sinning already. Because we're sinners. Listen, needing a Savior. Oh, and I thank the Lord. I know that I'm not worthy. You know that you're not worthy. But because of the cross, because of the cross. And so Jesus, this last will and testament, it's a proven fact. 1 Corinthians 15, over 500 witnessed the risen Christ. I know that his blood is what washes me and cleanses me. Now we come to the conclusion of our study this morning. Look at verse 22. And according to the law, and I want you to underline this, according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. The best translation, there is no forgiveness. But I like this word almost. The Holy Spirit uses the word almost in some Old Testament cases. Listen, certain vessels were purified by water, purified by fire. Numbers chapter 31, you can study that. Others with the ashes of the red heifer. We mentioned that last week. You can study that in Numbers chapter 19. But it was always understood that everything was at first consecrated by the blood of the animal sacrifice. And the best that that could do was to cover. It just covered my sin. That animal sacrifice was pointing to the complete sacrifice at the cross. And the rituals, the rites, the custom, everything that the priests had to do. How simplified it is now. Those that call upon the name of the Lord can and shall be saved. That's a promise. You can take that to the spiritual bank. It's a lot of promises in this world. But I'll tell you what, the promises of Christ are eternal life. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. And while you're going there, mark this verse down. I'm going to read it to you. Isaiah 53, verse 6. Isaiah writes, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Speaking of our sin nature, we've gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, this is Christ, the iniquity of us all. All the sins of mankind have been placed on Jesus Christ. Here's something that has always estranged and just baffled the mind. Here we are in the 21st century. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the cross at Calvary, at the hill of Golgotha. He gave up his life. He shed his precious blood. Listen, 2,000 years ago, for my sins, your sins, past, present, and future. And now I come to the age of accountability, and I have to respond. Lord, you died for me. I accept your death. I accept the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you're just going to church for nothing. Otherwise, you just belong to that denomination or this denomination or that non-denomination or this non-denomination, whatever it might be. But do you belong? Are you one of Christ's? Are you part of his ministry? Are you born again? of the Holy Spirit. That was the whole concept we shared last week in John chapter 3. Nicodemus couldn't understand it. Nicodemus, a, a ruler of the Jews, all his credentials that he had in his office, 
And he comes to Jesus at night. Why? He feared his peers. And he asked Jesus a simple question. What must a man do to enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus rebukes him. Nick, you're a ruler of the Jews. You should know these things. And then he says it, that classic verse. Nicodemus, you must be born again. He responds like I responded. Maybe some of you, how can I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? It's a spiritual thing. We're born again of the spirit. And God begins to change me and change you from the inside out. We have this tendency. You've seen it. I've even done it. You've done it. We try, okay, I'm a Christian now. And we try to change the outside. Back in the mid-60s, everybody, the Jesus movement, everybody was coming to Christ in the 70s. And basically the guys, hey, let's grow our hair. Let's have the long beards. We want to be like Jesus. Everybody walking around in sandals. And now the 21st century, it's the bald look, right? So it's not what's outward. Listen, it's what's inward. It's what's inward. Hey, I knew a lot of good friends of mine that had long hair and a beard, and they were sinners, I can guarantee you, just like us. And so I ask you to turn to 2 Corinthians 5, look at verse 20. Paul says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, representatives of Christ, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I like that. Look at verse 21. God made him, speaking of Christ, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Again, church, we are holy, we are righteous, we are sanctified, set apart because of the precious blood of Christ, his death and his resurrection. I want you to mark that down there at the conclusion of verse 22. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. The word remission, without the shedding of blood, there is no freedom, religious freedom, or spiritual freedom. There is no pardon. There is no uh, deliverance. There's no forgiveness. Now, in the Old Testament, we had to be covered by the blood of a lamb, a goat, a sheep, or a bull, or even a turtle dove. But it was just covered for a season. In the New Testament, Jesus' blood forgives. Jesus' blood covers and removes all sin, listen, because of the grace of God. Now, if you've been here in times past, when you come to the word grace, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, we are saved by grace through faith. What does it mean? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You want to build up your faith? Get into God's word. You want to receive Christ into your heart? Receive him by faith. Well, Pastor Bob, I wasn't there in 1 Corinthians 15, and I didn't see the risen Christ. But listen, his testimony has been around for 2,000 years. I'll tell you, I can testify. I can see a changed life. I have seen the drug addict. I've seen the alcoholic. I've seen the whoremonger. I've seen the homosexual. I've seen the lesbian. I've seen the prostitutes. They've changed, listen, through the power of God's grace. Listen, I tried 12-step program. I didn't even get to step six didn't work. I said, I can't do this. I need a drink. There's only one step that we need. Listen, and that's Christ. Jesus' last will and testament is fulfilled. The grace of God. I deserve judgment. It's, it's called, grace is called unmerited favor. I deserve judgment. I know it. You know it. If you're honest with yourself, you know it. Because there's not one righteous, no, not one. But because of the grace of God. Ah, thank you, Lord. I, I don't think we'll fully understand God's grace till we get to heaven. And we'll walk in. Those will be one of the questions I want to ask God. Lord, I want to ask you about grace. And walk in, the Bible says, I'll have the mind of Christ. I already know the answer. The grace of God. Bask in the grace of God. If you've not come to saving grace, today is the day of your salvation. Let's all stand.
we'll end with a word of prayer. Father, thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your grace, your love, and your mercy, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the precious blood of Jesus Christ that was shed at Calvary. 2,000 years ago, that same blood that is washing and cleansing today, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. I thank you, Lord, that Jesus shed his blood to give us life, life eternal. And, and Lord, we pray right now. Maybe there's somebody here with every eye closed, every head bowed. Maybe somebody's here. The rest of us as Christians be praying. Maybe somebody's here that's never received the risen Christ. Today is the day of your salvation. We're not here to pressure you. I'm not going to even ask you to come up, but right there where you're at, if you need Jesus, you want to accept him as your Lord and Savior, once and for all, raise your hand. And I'll say a simple prayer of faith. Anybody here this morning would like to receive Christ. If the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart, raise your hand real quick, and I'll pray for you. Anybody, I see your hand up here in the front. Praise the Lord. Anybody else would like to receive Christ with this gentleman up here? Then if the rest of us are Christian, praise God. Let's pray for this young man. Father, right now, in the precious name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your grace, your love, and your mercy. Lord, I know that it's not the animal sacrifices. That was just, uh, it was pointing to the cross. It was just a, uh, a picture. It was a shadow of the things to come. We know that Jesus is the complete sacrifice. I pray for this young man up here in the front uh, that had raised his hand, not to Calvary Chapel or to Pastor Bob, but he's raised his hand to you, Lord. Lord, as we had to acknowledge one day, he knows, Lord, he's a sinner. As we knew when we accepted Christ that we were sinners. And Lord, he needs you. And the Bible simply says, those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, save this man. Wash him, cleanse him, empty him of himself, fill him with the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, give him a hunger and a thirst for your word. We give you praise and honor and glory for salvation that's come to this house, Lord. And Father, bless the rest of us. Lord, give us a hunger and a thirst for your word. Lord, prepare us for what you have in the coming days and weeks and months. Lord, we pray for the Klein Park outreach. It's just around the corner, about a month away. Lord, we pray for the harvest crusades that are going on in, in uh, California. We pray for, uh, Lord, the Somebody Loves You crusade, the exit crusade. That's with Pastor Rawl. It's going to be in Las Vegas. We pray, Lord. Father, we pray for the men's conference that's going to be up in Belen. Uh, with Calvary Chapel, Rio Grande Valley, with Pastor Ray. Lord, we pray. And Father, we ask that you would bless the offerings this morning. Bless them, Lord, as you've blessed in time past. You're going to bless again, Lord. Lord, as you've given to us, we give back a portion to you, Lord. God loves a cheerful giver. Bless the offerings. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen.